Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this Flint briefing call on the way forward after the French elections. Uh, I'm Simon Fraser, managing partner at Flint and former permanent secretary at the UK Foreign Office, and I'm in the chair. I'm joined today by Sir Julian King, the UK's former EU commissioner and indeed former ambassador to France. Uh, Philip Cordry, who, despite his perfect English accent, is in fact a former French MP in the National Assembly. And François-Joseph Chichan, who is a former uh, French diplomat and head of the political section at the French Embassy in London. Uh, as we all know, on Sunday, France re-elected Emmanuel Macron. He got 58.5% of the votes uh, against Marine Le Pen's 42.5%. Now, that was a historic high for the far right in France. But although his lead was narrower than in 2017, it's still a clear victory and a success for Macron, who was, after all, defending his record after five years in the job. Uh, that said, the campaign leaves many questions open and many uncertainties, both short and long term. The familiar political parties have collapsed in France. The French political landscape is fragmented and polarised, and there is a clear undercurrent of discontent. So during this call, what we want to do is to look forward at the fallout and what comes next. First, the run-up to the parliamentary election in June, which is going to be very important. Then the implications of Macron's re-election for France in the European Union. And then more broadly, France's geopolitical and international role in these turbulent times. And finally, the consequences for relations with the UK. So the theme of this call is going to be quite political, but we are also going to try and make sure that we focus on what this means for business uh, and business community. The call is going to last less than 30 minutes. So, so let's kick off. Uh, Philip, I want to turn to you first. Uh, on the French political scene. I mean, Macron has won a clear personal mandate, uh, though we know that some people, quite a lot of people, voted for him reluctantly. But he can't govern without a stable majority in Parliament. So that's the next question. There is a parliamentary election in June. Can Macron win a majority? And if he doesn't, or indeed if he does, what will the implications be for policymaking in France? Thanks, Simon. Uh, Sunday's result was, uh, as you said, has reassured many concerning the capacity of France to push back populism. And the credit for that is, is it partly Macron, who is the first incumbent president with a sitting majority in Parliament being re-elected since de Gaulle in 1969. But not only. Unlike other presidential elections, what dominated uh, is a feeling of relief rather than hope. Uh, and more than ever before, this vote was to rule out a candidate rather than to select one. The most difficult really starts today for the new president. And as you said, it's to ensure a majority in parliament to be in capacity to govern. Mélenchon and Le Pen have already started their campaign for what they call the third round of the presidential election. And both are stronger than five years ago. But also both of them have difficulties today in United Their Camp. The left is fragmented, and although many voted Mélenchon in the first round to avoid a second round between Macron and Le Pen, they do not show share his radicality. 
And on the far right, Zemmour and Le Pen agree on Islam, on migration, on security, but not at all on economic and social approach. So today it's very difficult to say if Macron can get a majority. The legislative election is a very different election composed of 577 different two-round elections, which by nature favors most central forces. So our view is that neither Le Pen nor Mélenchon will be in capacity to win a majority and that they cannot govern together, which leaves three possible options, a majority for Macron, a minority government, or a coalition government. And Macron's mandate, as we said, is weaker than in 2017, and he will seek in the coming weeks already to address the expectations that rose up during these elections to create a new dynamic to be in capacity to win these elections. He'll continue to attract new personalities from the centre-left and the centre-right. He'll announce new methods of governance. He'll try and show a less brutal image and will show priority on the main teams, themes of this campaign, climate and social issues. In terms of calendar, he'll probably move relatively fast. He'll appoint early next week a new prime minister. There are many names going around. We've heard uh, Borne de Normandie, Lagarde, Barouin. But with Macron, one should usually expect a surprise and someone whose name is not floating around uh, in the media. The government will be smaller with a dozen of ministers, including new faces. And LREM, Macron's party, will select their candidates before the end of next week to be in ready to start campaigning very soon. Key announcements in the coming weeks will probably be on the cost of living. It was a central topic of the campaign, and a law on cost of living will be prepared for this summer. On pension reform, where Macron will get it through, uh, he will, uh, as he did not manage to get it through in his first mandate. On climate, he has announced that his prime minister would directly be in charge of climate. And on Europe, his first step will be a visit to Berlin and maybe to Ukraine uh, with the German chancellor. And he will want to show that he is back in responsibility on the EU presidency. So all in all, Macron 2 will be the continuation of Macron 1, pro-business, pro-European, continuing to try to lower taxes, but with a bigger priority uh, on climate. Okay, thank you very much, Philip. That's very clear. And so in the immediate term, what we're expecting is the announcement of a new prime minister, a new transitional government, uh, and then the campaign for the parliamentary elections. Uh, very good. Now, let, let's move on then to look at the European dimension. I'm going to turn to you, Julian, if I may. France, as we all know, a key EU member state. Uh, Macron's re-election therefore has major implications for the EU, particularly if you consider what the alternative would have been. Um, France is holding the presidency of the Council of the EU still until I think the end of June. So what, what impact does the election have on the EU agenda, on the economic and other aspects of it, and on Macron's own European positioning and priority? Strengthen his hand in Europe? How is he going to work with Germany? All these questions on the table. Give us your view. Well, uh, good morning. Uh, his victory was uh, clearly warmly welcomed in Brussels and in most of the EU capitals because they had been at various points 
uh, a bit concerned about the prospect of, of Le Pen getting through. And after all, Macron wears his European uh, allegiance uh, very clearly on his sleeve. He did, he'd framed the choice uh, in the election as a referendum on Europe. Uh, he uh, was unapologetically pro-EU all the way through. And uh, as he did in 2017, uh, when he walked up to the stage to give his victory speech, it was to the European anthem. So I don't think there's any doubt about where uh, he's coming from. Uh, he'll want to use the momentum of his second term to pursue his and France's agenda in, in Europe. Uh, and that means projecting a strong Europe uh, on the world stage, on Russia, Ukraine, with the US, with China. And Francois Joseph will say a little bit more about that international, wider international dimension in a moment. Uh, but it, it also means uh, pursuing the European reform agenda uh, that he started to, to set out in his in his first term. So in Europe, uh, as domestically, uh, uh, as Philippe has just explained, there's, there's some unfinished business. Uh, there'll continue to be a, a strong emphasis on building up the EU's uh, resilience. Sometimes in, in the French, um, uh, they talk about autonomy uh, on defence, uh, through strength and defence capabilities and cooperation, uh, and in a range of strategic sectors from energy to tech to pharma, uh, including reinforcing supply chains and reducing dependencies. Uh, he'll stick to and indeed promote the new European rules on regulating big tech, including the big US platforms uh, in Europe, including uh, uh, Musk's um, uh, Twitter. Uh, he'll pursue reciprocity and trade relations. Uh, he'll want to renew the debate on investment and linked to that on the EU's tight deficit and debt rules. Now, he's going to have allies on much of this in Rome and Madrid. Indeed, the, the prime ministers there wrote in support of Macron before the second round. Uh, and he'll invest in his relationship with, with Berlin, with Schultz, as, as Philip said, starting with a, an early visit there. The Macron-Schultz dynamic will be interesting to watch. I think because they are they're close on on a range of policies, notably on industrial policy, but they're going to need to find some kind of uh, accommodation, understanding on strategic investment and the uh, EU budgetary rules. Uh, Macron will also want to work closely with the EU institutions. Uh, the president of the Commission, von der Leyen, uh, will be very sympathetic. Uh, indeed, she may herself be looking uh, forward to her second term. As you said, Simon, the French EU presidency runs to the end of June, uh, but Macron will want to set out a forward agenda in the weeks ahead, uh, including for the relatively inexperienced Czech presidency in the second half of this year. So there'll be quite a lot of action, I think, on the European front. Okay, thank you, Julian. And of course, if he does manage to win a majority in the parliamentary elections of France, that will strengthen his hand in delivering all that. You also mentioned it's important to remember the close relationship he has with Ursula von der Leyen, who was originally, sort of many thought, his candidate to be running the commission uh, in the first place. Good. Let's look a bit bit, bit further still, uh, if we can, um, a bit wider still with François-Joseph. Uh, to the wider international picture. So, so this election happened, of course, amid an international crisis and one on which uh, Emmanuel Macron has himself taken a prominent role. 
Uh, he's going to have to navigate over the next five years a difficult geopolitical context, whatever happens in Ukraine. Uh, uh, and the role that France is going to play on the Ukraine crisis is still open. But, but more broadly, Francois-Joseph, what are his international priorities beyond Europe? How is he going to approach, do you think, the key relationships, for example, with the US uh, as Biden approaches the midterm elections? And, of course, the big question of China. Thanks, Simon. So I think foreign policy is very likely to be one of the areas of focus of the first week, few weeks and months of, of Macron's second term. Um, there is a, a deeply uncertain and unstable geopolitical context, the war in Ukraine, of course, which is entering into a new phase, uh, multilateral, multilateralism, uh, which is in disarray. There are important summits also coming up in June, the G7, NATO, um, and these are all very important for Macron's priorities, on which we expect that there will be lots of continuity particularly if we compare to the alternative as um, Le Pen's approach, which uh, would have been much more uh, disruptive. So I think I see three main priorities in the in the months ahead. The first one is to build a stronger Europe on foreign policy and defense, where France has a leadership. And we can expect uh, Macron to double down on, on, e, on the EU strategic autonomy agenda, as uh, Julian just, just mentioned. The second one is to stabilize Europe's neighborhood, uh, Russia and Ukraine, of course, Turkey, North Africa. And the third one is to maintain and strengthen France's presence in, in the Indo-Pacific region, which is uh, the most important long-term uh, geopolitical area. So these are the priorities. And I think Macron has an opportunity, a window of opportunity here to make progress. He's got allies in Europe with uh, progressive centre-right or centre-left governments in Italy, Germany, Spain, Greece, Portugal. Um, he gets along well with Biden um, and the US support and is supportive of, of more European integration. Um, and, and it's worth also mentioning that France and the US have mostly overcome the difficult uh, period of the AUKUS crisis last year. But despite all of this, uh, Macron's win can, I think, give a false sense of political stability in the West. There are profound uncertainties ahead, fed by underlying political dynamics. Um, the far right, for example, has never been so strong in Western democracies. And you've got the U.S. midterms coming up and the U.S. presidential election as well, which can change the political landscape very quickly with the prospect of Trump potentially coming back in 2024. So this is for the wider political context. Now, on Ukraine and Russia specifically, um, I expect Macron to continue to support sanctions, including on energy and, and oil in particular, uh, or oil embargo. Um, it will also continue to provide military support to Ukraine. Um, as Philip mentioned, there is a plan to visit Kiev in the next few days, which would be his first visit to Ukraine since the start of the war. Um, and, and Macron is going to leverage the Ukraine crisis to accelerate EU integration and defense. But it's, it's worth noting here that at this stage, the Ukraine crisis has strengthened NATO more than EU defense integration. And not all member states necessarily um, agree with, uh, with, with Macron's approach on this. So the right balance will have to be found between, between NATO and defense integration. On China, um, so France is less exposed economically here than other countries such as Germany. And I expect Macron to maintain his policy of pragmatic engagement, leveraging the European level as much as he can to rebalance the relationship. And we've seen over the past few months uh, various trade policy instruments being adopted by the EU. And, and these were French ideas. So, so this would be uh, important. 
Um, but but France is not going to be necessarily be fully behind the sort of confrontational approach that the US and and, and others such as the UK and Australia has opted for on on Russia. But he will want the EU to um, have a more assertive approach to defend its interest toward China. So overall, I think Macron is facing uh, a complex geopolitical landscape very early on in his second term. Um, and, and his re-election provides stability, much needed stability and continuity here. But he's also determined to maintain French influence internationally. And for him, I think, this goes best through, this is best achieved through the EU, essentially. Back to you, Simon. Okay, thank you. And very interesting point there as to whether he will sort of differentiate, try to differentiate the French and European position from some, on some of these issues from that of the UK and the US. Uh, that, of course, nicely segues us in a way, Julian, to Brexit, um, the relationship between France and the UK, which, of course, has been strained and remains pretty strained uh, over a number of issues, including the Northern Ireland Protocol, AUKUS, which François Joseph mentioned, the immigration question. Um, so, look, now we're in a new political cycle in France. Is this an opportunity for this to be put behind us? Is this a new chapter in UK-French relations? Well, uh, Johnson was quick to send his congratulations uh, and publicise the fact. And there's been some uh, briefing uh, from uh, the government about the prospects of a reset in the relationship with, with France. Uh, but it's quite interesting that the uh, French finance minister, Bruno Le Maire, uh, shot back pretty quickly uh, that um, for France, this wasn't a priority. Uh, and as you said, Simon, uh, the relationship between Macron and uh, the Prime Minister, even at a personal level, uh, remains uh, pretty tense, actually. Uh, they, they seem to rub each other up the, the wrong way. Uh, Macron doesn't like Brexit or, or populism, which, of course, he opposes in France and in Europe, and which he uh, has associated with, with Johnson. Uh, he's happy to seek to exploit the gap, as, as he sees it, uh, left by the UK in some areas post, post-Brexit. Now, the relationship could move on uh, if both sides uh, wanted to do that. And, and speaking personally, I, I strongly believe that there are, there are uh, things that they could and should work on together. Uh, there hasn't been a bilateral summit, a meeting at the highest level between uh, France and the UK since 2018, which is quite a long time. Uh, the two countries could certainly uh, renew cooperation on defence issues, given the background we've just been talking about, foreign policy, issues like energy resilience. But equally, um, so far, both sides have shown uh, a bit of a tendency to play to the domestic audience. I mean, you, you picked out two examples, uh, AUKUS and the debate around immigration, small boats. Uh, and if uh, Johnson seeks to reopen the Northern Ireland Protocol, that is uh, unlikely to be well received in, in Paris or indeed more widely in, in the EU. So I think the best we can say at the moment is that the jury is out on this uh, and the personal relationships at the top are not, are not great. Simon. Yep. I agree with that and uh, I wouldn't hold my breath, but let's see. I mean, we, we live in hope. Uh, now, to let's wrap this conversation up now. I think we've, we've looked at the short-term issues in France, in Europe, and internationally. Um, 
I'm going to come back to you, Philip, just to look a bit further ahead on this, because Macron has won pretty convincingly. What you're saying is it looks like he's going to get some sort of workable majority in Parliament. But as we said at the start, you know, the, the, Le Pen has scored an all-time high result. Uh, the traditional parties have collapsed. So what are, if we look forward beyond this, of course, look, Macron can't stand again as well. So already we're beginning to look to post-Macron. What are the key lessons now for the future of, of, of politics in France? Are we sort of living on borrowed time here? Uh, to what extent is he going to be able to reshape French politics over the next five years as we look ahead? Yeah, as you said, I mean, um, constitutionally, this is Macron's last mandate. And his strategy, which he started in two, 2017 to destructure the French political landscape by attracting in a big centrist force of the centre-left and the centre-right voters, has functioned. It's functioned in 2017, functioned again in 2022. But the backlash is that the main oppositions are now embodied by radical populist forces, which are Le Pen and uh, Mélenchon. So I would say that there's two main questions. The first one is, in the centrist movement, will anyone be capable of keeping a centrist movement, which is really built around him, or will we come back to two centre-left and centre-right forces? It won't be socialists and republicans anymore, whatever happens. Uh, but will there be a new centre-right, centre-left party? Or will Macron really find a successor to continue uh, the, uh, the uh, a big centrist force? And the second element to watch is the future of the populist forces. Can they enlarge and become electable? Uh, because... Even though Le Pen won, she appears today as weakened and as not in capacity to win. And in fact, Zemmour was the one who said on Sunday night that it was an eighth defeat of a Le Pen, father and daughter, uh, in a row. And the emergence of Zemmour, who will try to unite the populist far right and the conservative right, will be an important factor. Uh, will he manage? Uh, and on the left, will Mélenchon be in capacity to keep left and greens united around his popular movement, uh, that will be another challenge. So two elements to watch in the centre and on the far right and on the far, far left, which means there are many uncertainties. And the first answers will be really during the legislative elections. Okay, thank you, Philip. And of course, as I said at the beginning, there's this undercurrent of discontent in French politics, as elsewhere in Europe, which Macron now has to contend with. Uh, so let's close the discussion at that point. Um, I think from the business perspective, Macron's re-election has to be seen as a good outcome. It represents a degree of stability and continuity in France. But as we have identified, there are lots of uncertainties. And there is this question I've raised, you know, are we sort of on borrowed time here? Um, the key now is to get the majority in Parliament, without which he won't be able to govern effectively. So we're going to be monitoring events very closely between now and that election, and we'll try and keep uh, our clients up to date with that. And after the legislative election, we'll come back again and look in more detail at the policy agenda uh, when we know what the outcome is, and again at some of the longer-term questions that Macron will be facing. So we'll, we'll tie it up there for now, but if you, anybody has any questions, do please get in touch with us. We're happy to go into any aspects of this 
in more detail. Thank you very much for joining us today and goodbye.